see you guys later. As they're heading out, uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. And this is Caleb about to speak to us in verses 12 through 14. And he's, he's an older man now in his life. Yeah, I think he's 85 years old. And him and Joshua scouted out the promised land when they were young men, you know, young adults. And him and Caleb and Joshua came back to Moses with a wonderful report of the future. And they were the only two that came back with a positive report about what the future looks like for the Israelites. And and lots of ha- lots has happened has happened now between young adult Caleb and now 85 year old Caleb. But the one of the sad parts of this story is that they still have not yet entered into the promised land. He's 85 years old, and we're going to listen to what Caleb says here now, starting in verse 12 of Joshua chapter 14. It says, "Give me the hill country." That the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in the great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Caleb simply said, give me my mountain. Title of my message today is, Stop Waiting. Stop Waiting. Caleb had enough waiting. What are we waiting for now? Come on. Give me my mountain. Give me my land. I want it now. Amen, church? Mm. I like it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, he ur- she urged Jesus at that wedding in Cana. Cana. Now, Jesus, now. It's time. No more waiting, Jesus. You've waited long enough. You've taken care of me because your father died. I, I thank you for that. It's time for your ministry to start. No more waiting. I like the Apostle Paul. Boy, he's walking on the road to Damascus. A big bright light comes and hits him in the eyes and blinds him, and, and, and he's all out of sorts, and he's having a heavenly visitation, and he can't see, and, and, and he doesn't know what's going on, and three days later, some man comes, you know, and heals him with his blind eyes, and Paul wastes no time, no time preaching about his Savior, Jesus Christ. I think it might have been a little difficult for him to get started, because Just a few days earlier, he was looking for Christians to put him in prison and hopefully get them killed. That was his goal. And so now he's stepping into the temple and and, and he's preaching about Jesus. He wastes no time. I I love it. You know, the the disciples, Jesus, you know, dies and and Judas, the Iscariot, you know, he, he does his thing and and he, he dies too, and, but Jesus is alive, and they're, they're deciding what to do. I like that they quickly replaced Judas Iscariot. 
They quickly found a replacement for Judas Iscariot. There was no waiting, waiting around. They got something to do. They got a mission to do. We need that 12th man back. We need him. Joseph, would you believe it? If I told you Joseph in the Bible, the man with the many colored coat from his father, do you know he was only 30 years old when he became second in command over the entire country of Egypt? Only 30 years old. Boy, he had a terrible childhood, didn't he? He had a terrible teenage years. He had terrible experience in his 20s, scarring, scarring events that he had gone through as a teenager in, a, in his 20s. Scarring, troubling, difficult, a, a terrible experience. He spent years of his, of his prime time life in prison. He had to deal with betrayal from his brothers and, and, and the, the fear of his father thought he was dead and he never got to say goodbye and all oh, the, the trauma on his life, scarring events. And all of a sudden, he's thrust into leadership at the age of 30. And I love that he wasted no time leading, taking control, doing what God had called him to do. Joseph had no experience he had no training. Joseph wasn't given a counselor. Joseph wasn't given a mentor. He had a call of God on his life, and he took it seriously. He wasted no time getting to work. God loves to put us in situations and circumstances that we are uneducated for, lack the experience for. Why? so that we do not rely on ourselves, so that we do not take the credit for the victory. But a lot of times we make a mistake. We think to ourselves, oh, I know I, I got a call of God. I know I need to get into ministry. I know, I, I know the Lord's asking me to start leading some things. I know the Lord wants me to start serving at a higher level. But first, first I'm going to wait to get educated. I want to wait to get a little bit more experience. I want to have a few more dozen hundred meetings with somebody to help me figure it all out. And I want to wait. I want to wait. But I'm telling you today, church, God is saying go. God is saying go. Today I'm saying go along with God. It's time to go. It's time to get to work. A wonderful verse in the Bible when I was a young boy. I, I really cling to 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, the way you live, and your love, your faith, and your purity. Let no one despise you for your youth. You know what else, church? Let's not be a church that despises the youth. Youth want to come to a place where they're welcomed. If we're despising them and trashing on them, they're never going to walk through the doors. And, and it's clear to me the youth need Jesus. <laughs> so let's... Not despise the youth. There's an encouragement for the youth to say, hey, listen, let no one despise you. If they're talking bad about you, push through. Push through. Get going. Get working. Get doing your thing. Show them how, how much you love Jesus. Show them how big your faith is. Show them how pure you are. Go on, youth. Show them. But church, we got to play our part. we got to champion the youth on. Right, church? Yeah. Listen to this. 
the average person, average, I, I consider myself pretty average, the average person influences 80,000 people in their lifetime. Whew. That's a lot of people. 80,000 people. So don't get discouraged that you don't think you're making an impact or something. You don't think you're making a difference. Don't get discouraged. You're making a greater impact than you realize. As a matter of fact, I, I, I bet today there's a portion of you in here that are thinking to yourself, I wish I had a, a greater impact, but also there's the other side of your brain that's telling you, I need to take advantage of all my moments because I know Jesus is watching. You see how we, we have the same thing going on here, but they're opposites, which is, I wish I could have a greater impact on the world around me. I wish I could help more people and influence more people and lead more people. I wish, I wish, I wish. But at the exact same time, you're thinking to yourself, I need to take advantage of all these opportunities because I know Jesus is going to question me about it when I get to heaven one day. Right? And so we understand that we actually do have quite the impact on our world around us. And at the same time, we want a greater impact. But I want to let you know, just the average person influences 80,000 people in their lifetime. Every single day, I guarantee you, you have an opportunity to impact two people. Add all those days up, day after day after day. What is your impact? Thousands, thousands. It's time to get working. It's time to get going. Stop waiting. Stop waiting to be a witness for Jesus. Stop waiting for the perfect opportunity to invite somebody to church. There's no such thing as a perfect opportunity to invite somebody to church. Unless you're a true story I'm about to tell you. Some of my two, my two, one of my two best friends, when they were in high school, they would, they would go to Walmart and they would help people load groceries into their car. And as they did it, they would witness to them about Jesus and invite them to church. And they saw this woman pushing this huge cart of groceries and they were yelling at her from across the parking lot, stop, stop. They said, we want to tell you about Jesus. And she misheard them. She thought the boys were yelling at her saying, stop, stop, tell us about Jesus. But she responded back to the boys saying, I don't have time. They said, you don't have, we're going to help you to save time. And she says, what are you doing? And he, he, they go, we're gonna help, we want to help you load up your groceries and we want to tell you about Jesus. And she said, oh, I thought you said, stop, stop, stop. Tell me about Jesus. And they said, are you a Christian? And she goes, yeah. And they said, two boys we're yelling at you from across the parking lot. Stop, tell me about Jesus. And you said you didn't have time? She was embarrassed. They were confused. <laughs> Opportunities like that don't, <laughs> it don't really happen. Nobody's running at you from across the parking lot of Walmart saying, please stop, stop, tell me about Jesus. And if they ever do, don't you dare say, I don't have time. The perfect opportunity never comes. You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Stop waiting. It's time to get going. Amen, church? Timothy in the Bible, he was a young pastor. The disciples, they were young men. There's a story in the Bible of 
Jesus needing to pay his temple tax. This is one of the things that frustrated Jesus about the Jewish leaders. They had turned their, the house of God into a money-making market. One of the ways that they were trying to make extra money is anybody 18 or older needed to pay a temple tax just to come to church before tithes, before offerings. It's frustrating. So Jesus and the disciples approached the temple. They didn't have the, any money on them. And they realized, oh, no, we can't get in because we don't have a temple tax. And so Jesus sends Peter down to the, <laughs> to the lake. He says, go catch a fish. In its mouth is money for us to pay a temple tax. But when Peter goes down to the water to catch the fish, he, he does that, and <laughs> there is coins in the fish's mouth. But there's only enough money for Jesus and Peter. And according to Jewish law, the only people that needed to pay the temple tax were those 18 and older. So some say, and I truly believe this, that they only needed two coins because the rest of the disciples were too young. That Peter was the oldest, which is why he was the leader. And Jesus was a little older too. And most of the disciples were young men. And they didn't wait around. They joined Jesus. Some didn't join Jesus, even though they were invited to join Jesus. And each of them had a reason not to join Jesus or an excuse to say to Jesus, I don't have time to follow you right now. But these young men decided to follow Jesus, and they didn't make an excuse. They didn't wait. They joined God's army. Gideon, in the Bible, his people are under attack. There's war. He's down in the, in the wine press threshing wheat. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never, whenever I thresh my wheat, <laughs> I don't go down to the wine press to do it. Whenever you thresh your wheat, got to go up on the hilltop. Got to let the wind blow. Got to let the wind blow the chaff away. That's how you thresh wheat. You throw it in the air, and the wind blows the way the chaff, and the seed is heavier, and it falls down on the ground. You just throw it in the air. It's a dirty, dirty job, but you got to do it on the hilltop. You got to do it in the windy valley. You got to do it somewhere out in the open. And Gideon is terrified of the enemy and getting killed, and, and, and he's trying to figure out a way to thresh his wheat without being seen. And so he's down in the wine press in a building where no wind can blow through, and it's got to be a terrible place to thresh wheat. Essentially, you're just throwing the stuff in the air, and it's just coming right back on your neck. And an angel appears to Gideon and just calls him a mighty warrior. And, and, and convicts him for hiding and waiting and not doing anything. And Gideon's response is the same our response is. But God, I'm the youngest and I'm the, I'm the smallest tribe and I'm not qualified for any of this. And I'm not a warrior. I'm not trained in battle, God. I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know the first thing to do. And the angel responds to him, you got to grab your sword. Because it's by the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon that we're going to defeat this enemy. God has a sword and you have a sword. And God needs your sword. He needs you to step up and get into the battle. He needs you to start serving. He needs you to start loving. He needs you to start preaching. He needs you to start teaching. He needs you to join the church. He needs you to sing out. He needs you to join the worship team. He needs you to 
touch some buttons down at the tech booth. He needs you. He needs your sword. Don't make an excuse to say, oh, God, I don't need my sword. He can get everything done without me. That's frustrating. That's a terrible thing to say to God. That you don't think God needs your sword. That somehow your, your sword is, is dull or weak or chipped or broken. or It's it just not really that effective. We, you, you need the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. And just replace your name with the name Gideon. Male, female, whoever you are in this place. You say the sword of the Lord and the sword of Lucas. Wow. God needs me to get into the game, to get into this thing called the kingdom of God and to start moving. There's a, there's a missionary, and he, he couldn't do anything without somebody giving him something, giving him money, giving him anything, food, didn't matter. He, he, just, he was out doing missionary work around the world, and everything he ever did relied on other people giving him things. And finally, the Lord said, stop. It's time for you to give back. And it convicted him. And he changed his mindset on money, and he changed his mindset on, on supplies and food and everything, and he started giving. He felt like the more he gave, the more the Lord would reward him. The more he gave, the more the Lord would just double back to him. But he realized something. It, it, it was time for me to stop taking and start giving a little bit. Amen, church? Hmm. There's a true story of a young man. He's taking his SATs. And he wanted to get out of this test room quickly because his, all of his friends were going to Adventureland. And so the test was put down in front of him, and he wrote abacadabra real quickly. A-B-A-C-A-D-A-B-A, abacadabra, abacadabra, all the way down and just, boom, and filled out and turned it in and hopped in the, his friend's car who was waiting in the parking lot, and off they went to Adventureland to have fun that day. And a few weeks later, all the test scores came back. His score came back, and he did absolutely terrible. And all of his friends had all these awesome scores, and he saw their faces light up. And they started talking about the college they want to go to now and the opportunities that they have because they have this great score. And he realized he wasted his opportunity because he wanted to go to Adventureland. And he asked his friends, when did you take the SATs? And he realized they all took it a, a few weeks earlier. And then he asked them, did you study for the SAT? And they said, yeah, I put in all this study. I would go to the library, and I would hop on that old computer, and I, I was studying, and I was trying to figure it all out. And he said, I put it off, and I kept waiting. And then you guys were going to Adventureland, and I, and I just quickly wrote Abacadabra on the test, and they laughed and laughed at him. And he said this, any opportunity given should be taken seriously in the moment. That man is Kevin Hart the comedian and actor that we all know and laugh at today. Any opportunity given should be taken seriously in the moment. He learned a serious life lesson that day. Is that he, he was putting things off when he should have been 
taking it seriously. I love that when David was taking lunch to his brothers down at the battlefield, he walked down in there and he saw what was going on and he asked questions and he was getting, you know, ridiculed for asking questions and he finally got good answers about somebody named Goliath taunting the Israelite army. And I love that the day David brings down lunch to learn about Goliath for the very first time, he is talking to King Saul to kill the giant. No waiting. Let's take care of this problem right now. I know there's problems, but they don't go away by ignoring them. You know, Goliath made a mistake waiting for somebody to respond. He waited and got killed. He waited for the wrong man to say, I'll fight you. Has anybody seen that video on the internet of a shepherd man throwing his stone from his sling and knocking over this steel wall? Has anybody seen this video? It's the kind of sling that David would have used back in the time and day that David lived. And it was this crazy-looking sling. And you always wonder as a kid, with a, like a, the idea of a slingshot, I, I bought a slingshot from Walmart before. That thing would never be able to kill a giant man. I, I mean, I don't even think I could take out a bird. You know what I'm saying? And so it always, in my mind, was a little bit curious. Like, how could a slingshot kill a human being? You know? This slingshot is epic, man. You guys should look up this video. This guy just gets this thing going, and he had deadly accuracy, and he even, like, spun around and then released it. And this stone flew so fast and so accurately at this metal wall. It was like, boom! against this metal wall and the whole metal wall fell over. I thought to myself, if that stone ever hit me in the forehead, that's it. Lights out. Lights out, folks. This David, he, Goliath waited and waited and waited day after day after day for a man to respond and that was his downfall. And a man of God said, I'm not waiting for nothing. This giant has no idea what's about to come out of his face. I'm about to throw a stone in his face so fast, he got to die. He's got a sword, and I can kill him from 30 yards away. What a total fool. That's what David's thinking. David understood the time is now. Amen, church? It's time to get working. Sometimes there is a waiting period. Sometimes there is a little bit of a waiting period to maybe fully step into the ultimate call of God on our lives. But the worst mistake you could ever make is to just sit down on a couch, do nothing, and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait. You got to work while you wait, which is my whole thing here. There's no real such thing as waiting in the kingdom of God. There's truly only ever working. You got saved today at church? Let's get serving on Wednesday. Yeah, it's that simple. And, and, and the Lord speaks to your potential, not to your current situation. He, he, he doesn't wait until you're ready to go. He says, get in the fight, my friend. Let's go right now. David waited a long time to be king over Israel. 
But it's clear to me that as he waited to be king over Israel, he was a leader and a warrior and a fighter and a champion and a man after God's own heart. If David would have said, hey, I'm anointed to be king. Kings, hey, prophet Samuel anointed me to be king. That's awesome. I'm going to sit on this couch. Call me when it's, when it's ready to go. He would have never become king over Israel if that's what he decided to do. There's no waiting. There's working. Lot in the Bible, living in Sodom and Gomorrah, was warned. The whole city is about to be destroyed with fire. Get out. He slept there another night. The angel showed up again the next day. The, the, God is about to destroy this city with fire. It's time to get out. He slept there another night. Finally, the third day, he says, it's the angel comes and says, it's happening now. Go. As the city is rain, his fire is raining down on his city. He's walking away, and it's burn, It's like a Hollywood movie. It's exploding behind him. It's burning behind him. And the angel says, "Do not look back." And his wife looks back because she longed for that life of sin, seeing it all disappear. She turned to a pillar of salt, judged for that heart of longing to be in sin. But the truth of the story is, is Lot was told to leave the town days earlier. You should have never been able to see the city by the time fire was raining down on it. Lot made a mistake. That was the downfall for eventually his wife, was his mistake of waiting. Noah told the people, get in the boat. They all waited. Shouldn't have waited. Jonah, told to go to Nineveh, decided, no way. You know, Nineveh's northeast. So you understand? <laughs> Nineveh's northeast. Jonah went southwest. Did you know that? He said, oh, no, I'm not going up there. Got down, went down to the boat, down in the southwest, started going even further southwest. He waited. He waited. He ended up in a fish. Don't wait. Don't wait. How long are you willing to wait? How long are you going to wait for? What are you waiting for? Moses waited 40 years in the desert. Probably shouldn't have done that. I'd say one of the biggest reasons you're waiting is just simply fear. You tend to hide away when you're afraid. But if you're not careful, your hiding place will become your prison place. 1 Kings 18, verse 4. Once, when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah, who was a prophet, had hidden 100 of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave, supplied them with food and water. Elijah the prophet showed up to town and he says, Where, where's the king? Where's King Ahab who was evil and was sending Jezebel out to kill the prophets? And she had killed hundreds of prophets up to this point. And Obadiah just decides, I got to save a few. 
I'm grabbing 150 in that cave, 50 in this cave. Stay away. Jezebel's, don't, don't come out. Get in the cave. Elijah shows up. Prophet of God says, where's the king? And Obadiah's like, have you heard what's going on? He's killing all of us. Don't talk to the king. Hmm. Obadiah was terrified of the king. And Elijah asked Obadiah this question. Where are all the preachers at? Hmm. They're in a cave, he says. Elijah responds, this is not a time to be in a cave. Sin is rampant. Enemy, the enemy is emboldened. Get out of the cave. Get out of the cave. Take me to the king. <laughs> Don't stay in the cave. It will become your grave. 1 Kings 18, verse 18. Listen to how Elijah talks to King Ahab. He responds to him in verse 18. I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Fear took Obadiah and a hundred other prophets out of the game. It wasn't time to be hiding in a cave. It was a time to come out of the cave and preach. Now's the time. It, it's only got to get darker. It's only got to get harder. They're only going to come at us more aggressive. It's only got to get harder. Come out of the cave now. If you stay in the cave, it'll become your grave. And I want to know where all the preachers at. We're all those willing to preach. We're all those ready to pray. Where are those ready to invite people to church? Where are those ready to lift up their voice and say, Jesus is the only way? Where are those people at? You got to come out of the cave, church. We can't be afraid. There's a story in the Bible. It's a parable of the, of the, vir, of the ten virgins. I'm going to wrap up with this, and I'm going to have the worship team come out. But in Matthew chapter 25, there's, there's a story of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And it says in verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed... They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Five virgins waited too long to get their oil. And it was too late. But other, the other five virgins never waited. 
but got working in the marketplace, selling and trading and buying and always making sure they had good oil, fresh oil in their lampstand. You are a lampstand. And the oil inside of you is the Holy Spirit. And when you light the wick, it's the fire of God that burns bright. And when you walk around your marketplace and your light is lit and your lamp is burning, you shine the love of Jesus for others to be attracted to. And you got to make sure that you constantly have oil in your lampstand to shine the light of Jesus to the world around you. But those, there are some that wait. Not today. I don't want to get into it today, Jesus. I don't want to read my Bible today, Jesus. I don't want to pray today, Jesus. I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to do it. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. He's not coming back. He's delayed. They say he's delayed. The scoffers always say he's delayed. They always say he's not coming back. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to put it off till tomorrow, and it'll be too late. As we wait for Jesus, we work. There's no such thing as waiting anymore. It's only working. And Jesus is coming back for those he recognizes. Little mini Jesuses running around. He's looking for his, he's looking for a light similar to his. He's looking for those who are full of the Holy Spirit, shine their light for Jesus, responding in love, working for Jesus, loving on the on the lowly. Loving on those who can't give him anything back. If you're only serving so that you get some sort of response. That's it. That's not it. That's not it. We just, we just give and we give and we give and the oil goes down a little bit. And we go, oh, my oil got a little low. I've been working hard. That's okay. I know where to get more oil. I got a prayer closet down in my basement. It's got barrels and barrels of oil. I'm going to go down there and get my little lamp out, and I'm going to fill it back up. I'm going to hit the streets and do my prayer walk. I'm going to love on my children. They can give me nothing back. I'm going to love on them anyway. And I'm going to love on my coworkers, even though they're grouchy and grumpy and they look like they just sucked on something sour. I'm going to love on them anyway. And I'm going to serve, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to serve, and I'm not going to do it for anything to come back to me. I'm going to pour out my oil and light my, light my wick. Amen, church? It's time to work. Where do you start? Great question. Start right where you are. Start small, but start now. Let's stand to our feet. I asked the worship team to do the song, let everything that has breath praise, praise. Let everything that has breath praise. That's me, that's you. What do you got to offer today? Well, it's pretty clear to me you got your breath. You give it to Jesus. Get filled up with oil here before the day, before Sunday service is over. Light the wick, head out those doors, go to a restaurant, shine bright for Jesus, invite him to church, tell him about Jesus, tell him he just had an amazing encounter with Jesus. You're invited too. Amen, church? Let's sing just a little bit.